Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Are you ready? What's going on here? Resistance is futile. This indeed you are, Paul. Is in my hand, Fan Effect. Welcome into another episode of Fan Effect, sponsored by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters, Utah's premier movie entertainment company. Here on the Fan Effect podcast, we are huge fans of voiceover acting, partly because in the podcast medium, voicing is what we do. And so those who are supremely talented at it are those we like to spend our time chatting with and getting to know. It's a fascinating world. We've interviewed many in the past, talked with people like Jeff Benedict, Vanessa Marshall. We always make sure we talk to Jess Harnell, who's on Animaniacs. And in this particular episode, as we get ready for Fanex 2021, we actually get to chat with a co-star on Animaniacs with Harnell, Rob Paulson. And he very kindly took a generous amount of time to cover a whole lot of topics and have a little fun. So here's a chance to listen to the incomparable Rob Paulson. I'm here now on the line with Rob Paulson, actor, voice actor, singer, and featured guest at Fanex Salt Lake 2021. Uh, Rob, welcome in. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule right before you come to Salt Lake uh, to meet everybody, to have some fun and chat with us here on Fan Effect. Well, hello, Andy. And may I thank you for lowering your entertainment standards on behalf of your audience. It is a, um, a distinct pleasure, my friend, to chat with you, and I am... Oh, gosh, I don't know, about five hours from jumping on a plane to uh, your beautiful city, and, and that is for damn sure what it is. I love Salt Lake City, so thanks for having me. And you've been to FanEx before, is that correct? I have. I think this is my fourth time to FanEx, um, and boy, uh, Dan Farr and his uh, exquisite group of uh, of tune fanatics, uh, they know how to put on a shindig, man. I, I do this a lot. I travel around the world a lot, which is um, quite lovely, uh, and I do a lot of these events, but you guys in Salt Lake City have probably, not probably, you have one of the top five events in the world, um, and it's uh, it's due exactly to, um, because of Dan Farr and uh, his passion for this thing and, and for making it all about the fans. It is utterly centered on the fans and um, and just a pleasure to be there. I'll tell you what, I've, I've interacted with a lot of voice talent, and it's neat to meet the people who create. There's a lot that goes into creating an animated series, obviously, but the one that people connect to the quickest and, and the ones that most recognizable is is the sound. You know, you, how does that person sound? And yeah. so it's really cool to get a chance to interact with those. In fact, I actually get to uh, moderate a panel with uh, Frank Welker and Peter Cullen, Peter Cullen? who I just oh. have loved since... Good. Since Transformers back in 1983. How and about that? You've even you voiced a couple yet? characters on Transformers. I have. I did. Um, those are the first shows I did were G.I. Joe and Transformers back in the mid-80s. And um, that's when I met Frank and Peter, both of whom are very dear friends. And I'm looking forward to seeing them. But have you worked? Have you done this before with those guys? I have not. Oh, man. When those guys open their mouths, Andy, you better have some smelling salts. Because it is the coolest damn thing in the world when Peter says, Autobots, roll out. It's just 
God, it's, it's so well, they were the top of my list when they said, who, who'd you like to oh, moderate? And I was like, I don't um, blame you. is it bad that I want to moderate Peter Cullen and Frank Welker? No. Because I've loved the voices and I'm still and I'm going to bring this up at the panel. I'm still upset that Frank Welker didn't get to voice Megatron in the Transformers live action movie. Yeah. I mean, as great uh, as Hugo crazy. Weaving is, it should have been Frank Welker. Yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah. And it's not about that, and, and which kind of it's an interesting segue to Animaniacs precisely because of what you just suggested with respect to the authenticity of the character has nothing to do with Mr. Weaving. He's a great actor. It's not about that. It's about the fact that Frank and Peter are Megatron and Optimus, respectively. That's just the way it is. And when Mr. Spielberg decided to reboot Animaniacs from the get-go, it was all about, okay, whoever ponies up the dough to do this, it's going to be Tress McNeil as Dot, Jess Harnell as Wacko, Rob Paulson as Yakko, and Rob and Maurice as Pinky in the Brain. It's just going to be that way. It's not about hiring celebrities to give the film a little more celebrity cachet, because yes. the fan base who loves Transformers, look, I would love to be a big movie star, but in this circumstance, it's not about that. And so I am just so glad that you're going to get a chance to do this, my friend, because it will blow your mind in the most glorious way. You're going to have weeks of enjoyment after that uh, experience. I feel like I'm already get, I'm already getting goosebumps thinking about it. I feel like I'm going to get it oh, again. It's so cool. I have lots of stories about my love for Optimus Prime, and it's sure. like intertwined in my family history about a, a specific Christmas. It's it's funny to our family, but it's maybe not as funny to everybody else. But that's yeah, why but I was that, so excited. But, but, it is exciting, but listen to what you, how exciting you're getting talking about your personal experience. And that is the thing that I have learned about these characters, which is so profoundly humbling, is the extent to which these characters connect us with some really important times in our lives. And then you get to share that with your children. And then you get to share it with your grandchildren. And that is exactly what we're, ha- we're dealing with now with respect to Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. Those two shows now have an exponentially larger fan base, and I get people all the time, and it will happen this weekend as well, who are 10 years older than I, and they share their love of these particular characters or Ninja Turtles or what have you that I've worked on with their kids and their grandkids. And it's no small thing, man. It's a big deal. Well, you you say that, and literally, I told my kids, okay, I'm going to interview Yakko. And they immediately launched into "We're Anime." They like they started singing yeah. the song right there, and I, they said, well, "Now is he Pinky or the Brain?" I said, "He's Pinky." And then they started singing "Pinky and the Brain," and then it was in my head the rest of the night. And we just kept singing it back and forth to each other all during dinner last night. Isn't that the coolest thing? And that happens millions and millions and millions of times a day all around the world. And whether it's my work or Tom Kenny, who's SpongeBob, or the other folks who are the Turtles or the Simpsons or whatever, good stuff is good stuff. And when it connects people with their families, the stories I hear, Andy, if I may, just briefly, I was at Dragon Con in Atlanta two weeks ago. And a gentleman, probably in his mid-50s, came up and was very kind, very effusive in his praise. And he said, may I just share with you something? And I said, please, sir, it's my pleasure. Well, this gentleman had the courage to come and tell me that he and his wife Love Pinky and the Brain because it was something they shared with their 17-year-old boy who had recently passed in a car accident. Now, I don't even know how parents put on their pants the next day. I, I just don't even, and, and I know a lot of them don't. Once something like that happens, it is so brutal on so many levels uh, that I, I, I can't even comprehend it. 
But this gentleman took his day to go and deal with the crowd, pay for a ticket to get in, park, maybe stayed overnight. I don't know, because he wanted to tell me how much Pinky and the Brain meant to him and his wife now that their beautiful boy was gone. And that stuff happens more than one would suspect. And you tell that gentleman, it's just a cartoon. Right. You you tell that brokenhearted mother, oh, it's just some wacky kid show. B.S. It is an important part of who they are and a connection with their sweet baby. So I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with respect to your excitement and and it's exactly as it should be and uh man i i couldn't be prouder to be in any business more than this one. Oh, see now you got me wanting to tell the story because it literally fits into that well, go ahead the, it's your show the you christmas it, i'm here i'm in the audience man. christmas of 84 i got megatron for my birthday in october just turned nine and all i wanted for christmas was optimus prime i wanted the leader of the autobots leader of the decepticons my parents you know, they didn't know a whole lot about it, but they knew they needed to get Optimus Prime for me. Yeah, they, whatever that takes. <laughs> they got him and they put him in their closet. And in my oh. youthful enthusiasm, I found it. Woo. And not just found it, I had to go tell the neighbors that I was getting Optimus Prime. And then it got back to my parents, and my they parents, were so yeah. disappointed. Of course, they told us off, and then they're like, I don't know what we're going to do. But I don't even know if we're going to give them to you now. So Christmas oh, morning no. comes. We open up all the gifts. And honestly, by the end of that opening the presents, I had completely forgotten about the Transformers because I already knew yeah. I had been in so much trouble for finding them. At the end, my parents confer. They go into their bedroom for a sec, and they come back out with three presents wrapped in. Remember the old grocery paper sacks that were square shaped? Totally. They wrapped it in yep. a grocery paper sack, and they hand us Great. three boxes. Me and my two brothers, we open it up, and my older brother got Optimus Prime, and I got Soundwave. Ah. I was so crushed. Like I couldn't complain because it was my own fault. Yep. But that's right. Any rate, so then my older brother oh, proceeded to torture story. me the next month because he was like, "Oh, how much do you want to play with Optimus Prime? You willing to do my chores for a week for like one hour Isn't of Optimus that? Prime?" Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, what a great story. You know, it's funny. But that's not the end, though. Go. My mother she contracted cancer when I was in high school, and then one of the things she did for us was she made a tape to each one of us. And that particular Christmas is on the last tape I have from my mom talking to me. She says, do you remember that Christmas with Optimus Prime? And she goes, maybe we should have just given you Optimus Prime anyway. (laughs) But so this is like full circle for me. Talking to Peter Cullen and Frank Welker is full circle from my childhood to now. So that's part of the reason I'm so excited. But again, on the last things that my mom said to me, that I, the last voice record that I have of her, and you know, you're a voice talent, oh, I that. do radio, so that's, you know, yeah, it's like the same business. all these things together, and it's going to be that kind of experience. I, that's a complete self-indulgence. Well, I may not even include no, that no, in the no, podcast. No, no. But, well, I, I, you know, I could argue that that's not self-indulgent because I guarantee you there are people listening to this conversation right now getting a little bit misty thinking, oh, my God, you know, I I remember when I got Ninja Turtles or when I got Optimus or when I got whatever, uh, and my parents are gone and all of that. And it it is absolutely worth telling that story. I would submit that one of the reasons you're successful is because you get your audience. And the audience um, for joy and nostalgia and uh, these beautiful recollections of their childhood and sharing them with 
their own children and grandchildren is an utterly human experience. So I think it was wonderful that you took the time to do that. And I am, I swear to you, I could not be more excited uh, for you because I've been with Frank and Pete when they start riffing. In fact, I'll tell you another quick story. We're, we're going to quick story ourselves into a 10-part episode. But um, I directed the most recent iteration of the Ninja Turtles called Rise of the TMNT over at Nickelodeon. I was the voice director for a couple of years. And the producers, you know, they're all 40. And writers are all 35, 40, 45. So they, they know everything that I and my peers have worked on. That's one of the reasons that they're in this business. So the producers came and said, hey, man, we're bringing in Frank and Pete to do a couple of bad guys on Ninja Turtles. Obviously, we hired them on purpose together. And um, I said, oh, that's great. We just want to let you know there are going to be a lot of writers and everybody who has got a pulse is going to be in the room because it's Frank and Peter. So when they showed up, I said, Pete, do me a favor. When we do a mic check, just say Autobots roll out. That's all I want you to say. You know, three words. They said, sure, no problem. So I did Frank and Frank, did you know, whatever bad guy he was doing, he didn't do Megatron. He just did whatever character he was doing in the turtle episode but i said pete can we hear, get a mic level please autobots roll and then he riffed for a little, another 15 20 seconds and there were probably i don't know 11 extra people in there guys and girls and to a man and woman they were dumbstruck they just were oh my god he said it we didn't expect him to we just wanted to maybe get a selfie but they played it again played it again and everybody was just out of their minds. So it's a very big deal, Andy, and you're going to be, you're going to just, oh God, you're going to love it. <laughs> it's going to be great, man. I'm so excited. Good. Well, Rob, you've voiced hundreds of characters for movies and TV shows. You're most famous, I, I mean, and you can correct me, but you're most famous for Yakko on Animaniacs and your role on Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. What role that you've voiced would you say is the one people get most excited to find out about? Hopefully the next one, because it means I'm working. Um, <laughs> but I think probably, well, it's it's a toss-up. I am the uh, grateful beneficiary of an embarrassment of riches. Now that Animaniacs is back and an unqualified hit again with Mr. Spielberg, again, I have to say that whether it's uh, Yakko or Pinky uh, or Raphael, they're kind of equal opportunity uh, excitement makers. I think certainly Turtles is the most uh, sort of venerable one. It's been around forever. And that is something that I will be obviously forever grateful for because I got to be involved with something that has become what it has become. And there are tons of stories. A buddy of mine who plays for the Detroit Lions goes, shows up every year at camp with his Ninja Turtle pillow, with his authentic <laughs> original Ninja Turtle bed sheet, uh, rather pillowcases. He's bought more of them on eBay, so he doesn't wear them out. Young men and women who've come to me with their Ninja Turtle action figures that they took with them on their deployments to the Middle East, talking about friends whom they've lost in, in combat. Clearly, I have no trouble talking, but this is where I get a little tongue-tied when I relay the story about the gentleman and his son and obviously the story about you and your mom. The, these things are powerful. And uh, so I think probably Turtles is the one that is the most deeply ensconced in people's uh, precious memories. But I'll tell you what, when I start ripping as Yakko or Pinky, folks kind of lose their mind, and it's great. It's really cool. This might sound silly, but since you mentioned that, how do you keep track of the voices in your head? Well, medication. No, uh, <laughs> I... Um, you know, it's not that big a deal. It sounds, it's really a kind of a cool parlor trick. Look, we're in the same business. And when you 
start to develop a sort of uh, mental Rolodex of bits that you know work, I would probably submit that you have, um, or rather suggest that you have a pile of bits in, in your back pocket. You've been doing this gig a while, and you know that if somebody presents you with situation A, you've got a couple of cool one-liners that work there, and you've, you've kind of they're tried and true. Same here. But also, when you get to work on a show that you've been able to revisit, even if you're not getting paid for it, once people find out who I am, they all want to hear those characters. And I hope that I never am not asked to do it. I'm not one of those people who gets bent out of shape saying, oh, geez, I would have to say hello, nurse, one more time. <laughs> not at all. The problem is when people stop asking. And so, as you can imagine, I've been doing those characters since they aired because they became hits. And then I would go do events or be interviewed or a friend of a friend has a birthday or a, a friend of a pal has a kid who's having a birthday. So I've been doing these characters just for the love of doing them forever. So it's not like they're difficult to keep straight. And if there ever is a circumstance like that, then the producers have examples of the way a character sounds and kind of the soul of the character. And they play it back for you. And, and it just right comes in. right back. Yeah. Okay. Now, what voice role do you feel most protective? Obviously, there, there may come some day, 20 years, 50 years in the future, where somebody else has to voice the role because maybe you're no longer with us or something like that. What role yeah. would you haunt to make sure they got it right? <laughs> you know, I, probably Yakko and Pinky, because those two characters, uh, as much as I love the Turtles, I got to use my arsenal uh, with those characters. Yakko is famous for many things, not the least of which is United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, and that little piece of world-class, iconic American animation art. I literally was uh, going to ask you about that. In fact, let me play yeah. this. And Mali, Sierra Leone, and Algeria, Dahomey, Namibia, Senegal, Libya, Cameroon, Congo, Zaire, Ethiopia, Guinea, Bissau, Madagascar, Rwanda, Mayor, and Cayman, Hong Kong, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, Yugoslavia. My jaw dropped the first time I saw that. I didn't actually see that the first run. I saw that when I was watching it recently when we're yeah. trading episodes with my kids. We were watching an old one and we'd watch a new one. And when I saw that one, I almost applauded in my living room. I said, that was amazing. Oh, and I had God. to ask you about that. Did they speed up your voice artificially at the end of that song or did you do that in real time? No, I did it in real time, but they did something called VSO, which is variable speed operation, I think. And it's not like speeding it up. It's like compressing the voice a little bit because they, like, when I do Yakko, everybody knows it's Yakko. And in fact, in the new episodes, I don't think they do anything at all. It's just this helium vibe, and I can do it and say, hello, nurse, all day long. But in the, in the original show, they did compress it. But when we do the song live... Uh, my partner, Randy Rogel, who wrote that, many of the other Animaniacs favorites, when we do that live, we do it pretty quickly, real real fast, because we do it with the original music. So uh, ah. it's just, uh, you know, at the end, it goes, it gets pretty quick. I'm a little bit froggy this morning. Um, but, the fact that you um, did that yeah, right there is nice. just jaw-dropping again. No problem. I did it in real time, and I did it in one take. Oh, um, I was going to ask you that. Too. Uh, I, did, I didn't know if that was insulting to ask you that, but I was like, you did that in one take. That was not edited together at all. No, in fact, we did two takes. That, what you heard and what people have grown up listening to, was the first take. Uh, the second take wasn't quite as good, so we kept the first one. 
And look, I'm really good at my job, but so are you. I, I should be good at my job. Yep. But I live in L.A., man. You can throw a dart and hit someone who could sing that song. What you can't do is throw a dart and hit someone who can write that stuff. And that is really where uh, Animaniacs shines. The music, that's why I referenced earlier that I, I love Animaniacs and Pink Hated Brain, because I get to do dialects, I get to sing, I get to improvise. All of that came to bear in, in those shows. Mr. Spielberg, 40-piece orchestra for every half hour. It's really what every actor who's a singer dreams of. And so those are the shows that I would haunt people about and say, you better get this right, genius, or I'm going to come after you and be all over you like white on rice. Um, here's another little inside baseball. Randy Rogel, my genius friend who wrote Yakko's World, and it's a great big universe and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. You might think that you're essential. Try inconsequential. It's a big universe, and you're not. Um, and so many other ones. Randy is the most singularly overachieving human I've ever met in my life. West Point grad. Then he decided he needed another degree, so he went to Boston University, got something there, was in corporate America making a nice living after he got done serving the country. But he's about writing, musical comedy, singing, dancing, whatever. He can do it all. So he makes his way to L.A., bangs on the door, gets a job writing on Batman, the animated series, which was a fantastic oh, yeah. version of Batman. It's almost um, the definitive version of Batman. It, it really, it really truly is. Kevin Conroy as the Bat and Mark Hamill as the Joker. It just don't get no better, man. Um, so Randy gets a gig after banging on the door for a year on Batman. First season, wins an Emmy. Great. Then he hears about the folks who are doing Tiny Toon Adventures across the hall. Now they're doing another brand new show with Steven Spielberg called Animaniacs. Great. Randy's background is music, musical comedy. Oh, my God, this is my stuff. Bangs on that door. I said, dude, go back to writing Batman. You just won an Emmy. What, do you need more money? We'll take care of you. No, 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 no. It's just that, uh, yeah, I'm good at writing drama, but I'm really all about musical comedy. I mean, this is a variety show. This is right up my alley. No, 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 no. Just stay there. We need you on Batman. Finally. They say, okay, write a song on spec and show us what you got. That is what he wrote for his audition piece. He wrote The Countries now, of the World? Yes. Now, I'm good at my job, but shut the front door. Are you kidding me? That's what he wrote to convince the people on Animaniacs that he should write for them. And I'll tell you what, I do a lot of public speaking, and, and when I tell that story to budding artists, I do it not to make them you know, think, oh, my God, I can't do that. I do it to inspire them. Because just like myself, when I moved to L.A. in 1978 to apply my trade, I didn't know anybody. And nobody knew me. Like everybody else, I came to Hollywood with my little dreams and all that stuff. But you never know who you're going to meet along the way who inspire you to be so much better than you ever thought you could be. And were it not for Randy and his prodigious skill, and this incredible serendipity, I never would have had the opportunity to sing a song that has become, and that's, this isn't hyperbole, it is a unique, iconic piece of American animation art. I believe it's right up there with Bugs. I think it's right up there with Flintstones. That two-and-a-half-minute cartoon of Yakko singing all the countries of the world in two-and-a-half minutes is nothing short of genius. There's no dialogue except for the music. I'm sorry, at the beginning I say, and now the nations of the world brought to you by Yakko Warner. And then, boom, the band takes off, Yakko does his thing, he rolls up in the map at the end, and it's over. And boy, oh boy, 
so it's just a, a wonderful example of how luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So the lesson there is jump in with both feet in whatever you do. And when you meet people who blow your mind, don't let them intimidate you. Embrace them because they often make you better. And that's how that works, man. That is a great story. And I did. I literally was watching it last year. So what had it been around since 93? Yeah. 93. So it yeah, was 26, years. 27 years old when I watched it. Yeah. And I sat up because it was so good. So good. Isn't that something? And, and that, that was, was when I heard I was interviewing you. I said, I'm asking him about countries of the world. That's the definition of timeless. Great. I, I, I agree with you. I, and I, as I said, I'm generally very reticent to sing my own praises. Uh, my mom, God bless her. My mom said, honey, if your horn is worth tooting, someone else will toot it for you. And I believe that. But here we're talking about the genius of Randy Rogel. Yes. And moreover, understanding that that is what he had in his back pocket. And it just got better from there. So Randy and I get a chance now with a wonderful licensing deal with Warner Brothers. We take the music of Animaniacs around the country and do it with orchestras. And when we do that song, it's our stairway to heaven. People lose their minds. It's just the coolest thing in the world. I hope maybe you'll get a chance to do it at, uh, at Fanex then. Oh, yeah, I'll be able to do it, and I'll do it a cappella. It's still incredible. When you, it's a really cool parlor trick. I've done it so many times now, and it never is not fantastic because the audience just eats it up. But uh, when you see it with a full orchestra, and we do it in sync with a cartoon on a big 50-foot screen behind us, it's really cool because all the music and, of course, the vocals are coming from the stage in real time. And then we sink it to the cartoon, and it's it's pretty badass. It's really cool. That sounds awesome. Now, talking about Yakko, how did you decide on yeah. how he would sound? Well, it was a combination of my input and the input of Mr. Spielberg and Tom Ruger, the creator, and a couple of writers. And I believe it was a very big deal. So I think I had five or six callbacks where we tweaked it, and we had, I don't know, half a dozen actors who were in the running for the role before they finally decided on yours truly. So I don't recall what I did in addition to that. I know that if I auditioned five times for it, then I went through several different permutations, or rather Yakko did. But they kind of like that helium vibe and the fact that I can do it and still speak really quickly, and Yakko has a lot of Groucho in him. It's not like I do it with uh, with soft Oz and stuff like that, because now I'm sounding like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> but Yakko doesn't have... Uh, I mean, he still pronounces ours properly and all that, but he's kind of a smart ass, and that was absolutely by design. And they wanted Groucho DNA, and I think that that's pretty easy to spot, and the writing reflects that. The writing, both in the original series and the reboot, has an awful lot of Yakko looking sort of sideways at people and, and responding accordingly, which I just love. You get and to that's break probably, the fourth wall for a lot of punchlines. All the time. Good night, everybody. Lots of stuff where... Yakko will, or somebody will say something that's, that could be construed as off-color, and Yakko will look right at the camera and say, Good night, everybody! <laughs> and um, it works like a charm. And the fact is that I am sort of cut from that sarcastic cloth, and so it's pretty easy for me to take that on, for better I was going to say, that I, should I, allow you to hit the timing exactly <laughs> right and just know exactly what beat to, to give it, if, you, yep, if that's your style that's already. Exactly, precisely. And having done it now on and off for 20-odd years, you know, you slide right into it. It's like an old pair of shoes, man, and I just love them. You know what, Rob? That seems like a good spot to take our first break here on Fan Effect. We are talking with Animaniacs voice star Rob Paulson. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. 
they said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Fan Effect. I'm Andy Farnsworth, and we are talking with talented voice actor Rob Paulson. And Rob, I will say this. I'm, I'm very amateur at voice acting. My, my voice acting is usually limited to when I read stories to my kids. I try to imitate the voices that they might see in the movie. Or, Great. You know, like if I read Harry Potter, I try to ape all the voices of the what they'd see in the movies. Sure. I mean, it's it's very rudimentary, but to hit the timing just right and not to rush it too much or to be too late, like that's a lot harder than the professionals make it look. So I do want to acknowledge to anybody who's never done any Thank voice you. things that the stuff that you do with Yakko and hitting it just right, that's not as easy to do as you make it look. Well, thank you, but that's part of my job, isn't it? I, yes. I, uh, I would submit that, look, we're in the same business. Whether or not you do voice characterizations or whatever you like to call it as an integral part of your gig, being a radio host or a talk show host is also a very difficult gig. Johnny Carson made it look like it was falling off a log. And yeah, he had people who would write, quote unquote, But the magic of a guy like Johnny Carson or the reason you're good at your job is because you have an incredible ability to speak extemporaneously. You do a little bit of homework for your guests, as you've done so kindly with yours truly. But then you got to be ready for things to go whichever direction they go. And if you have a guest who is a big movie star and is on your show ostensibly to promote his or her next movie, and you had a plan about what you wanted to talk about about a previous movie that you might maybe really enjoyed, and they kind of say, yeah, thank you, but I'd really like to blah, 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 and all of a sudden we go down that road, and if that takes a turn that you didn't expect, what are you going to do? Say, oh, wait a minute, I can't have this chat. Of course not. Right. You're a total pro. You move on, and you do your thing, and no one is any the wiser, and you make it look easy or sound easy. I mean, I am a singer before anything and any world-class performer, for instance, on Animaniacs, the first go around, Bernadette Peters was a castmate and I am a really good singer, but Bernadette Peters is a star and there is a difference. I know that because I got to sing next to her and when she sings, she sings in the middle of the note. That's the only way I could, I can describe it. I've been singing professionally for 40 plus years I read music, and I'm really good at it, and I'm particularly good at it in character. But I'm telling you what, it's one thing to be a professional singer and make a nice living. It's another thing to be a star, and she is. And obviously, Luciano Pavarotti was the same way. And when I hear Luciano, though he's been gone for years, I can hear him sing Nessun Dorma for the umpteenth time, and it will bring me to tears. And when you see him do it on video... You know, there are certain notes, high C, he looks like he might be stretching a bit because, of course, he was. But it's so effortless and getting a little existential. That's the point at which people who may not particularly believe in a deity, when you hear people perform or you hear uh, Isaac Perlman play that fiddle at that level, that's when you kind of go, hmm, maybe this makes a case for a deity. Because how do 
normal people play that thing like that? Or how does someone sing like that? That's so much different than the person who is the first chair fiddle player in the youth symphony. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's so much. Well, and especially so in person. Better. Especially in person. Oh, oh my God. So much better than the best players that you think you know. And that, yeah, those people have been touched. Those people are so, so, so special. And I got to tell you, you don't have to be a celebrity to be a star. And that's why I keep singing the praises of, of my friend Randy Rogel, because when you hear what he's written, he's doing a, uh, a musical now with Jerry Zucker, the guy who wrote Airplane and, oh, yeah. you know, Police Squad. And Zucker sought him out at Nick- 67 years old. And he's going, oh, I got to work with this guy, Randy Rogel, who wrote Random Maniacs. So it's not about celebrity. It's about incredible gifts and knowing how to use them. And so that is a long-winded way of saying thank you very much for your kind words, <laughs> but you do the same thing. And I think that anyone who gets to a certain level where they're able to do something for money that we would do for free, we got it figured out, pal. We're very, very fortunate, and I know you know that, to be able to make a living doing something that you would get together and do with your buddies just because it makes you happy. Oh, my God. What a lovely way to move through life, huh? Well, that's the truth. Quick question. You do have an improv background. At least you told me. We chatted yes. a little bit the other day. How much freedom when you're voicing a character do you typically have to improvise dialogue? I get quite a bit of leeway, but it doesn't mean that what I improvise ends up in the show. What the improvisation does for me, and according to what producers say helps the project, is that it creates a lot of palpable creative energy so that when I'm hired, because I have strong improv chops, and not just yours truly, Billy West, Maurice LaMarche, Tress McNeil, Lorraine Newman, obviously, crazy gifted, Dave Herman. These cats are from another planet. And when you are hired, because you you have that skill set, it is not to usurp the writers. It is precisely because the writers on that show, Futurama, Simpsons, Disenchantment, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, the writing is so good that it inspires creative people to be more creative. And a high tide raises all boats, man. So my creative chops vis-a-vis improv help me to juice up my performance. And sometimes my improvs will end up in the show because the writers have said, wow, Rob's line is better than what I wrote. It's deeply collaborative and utterly egoless. That's the damn truth. Is there a memorable off-script moment that you've done that was kept in the final version of the show? Yeah. In fact, you've seen Pinky in the Brain. Yes. Okay. So ask me, Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? I'll give you a couple examples. (laughs) Okay. Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? Well, I think so, Andy. But if Jack's black and Betty's white, is more than gay. No. (laughs) Um, So go ahead. I got another one. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Pinky? Well, I think so, Andy. But if we eat what we can and what we can't, we can. Where do we put all the cans we can? In the can next to Stan? By the fan? Oh, man. There's another. Uh, I think so, Brain. But if Andy Davis and Susan B. Anthony, who be Arthur? So those are. <laughs> those are ones you came up with. Just, you just riffed right on the scene. A couple of good ones. And uh, there are a couple in the show years ago. I think so, Brain. But Burlap chafes me so. Don't ask me how I know that. Oh, I think so, Brain, but culottes have a tendency to ride up on me. <laughs> so I love that because culottes is such a bizarre reference. But in the context of a non sequitur and in the context of pinking the brain, it's perfect. Perfect. And it's a funny that's word. that's what they want. It's a funny word. 
Even if you don't it know what a culotte is, it's a funny word. Right. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a funny word. And in somebody saying, because we're taking over the world, are you pondering it? I'm po- well, I think so. But if I put on culottes, they just are so uncomfortable. And I love that. So those are a few that have ended up from yours truly. But there were dozens which were written like, I think so, Brain, but where are we going to find a duck and a hose at this hour? <laughs> I remember I that so, one. Brain, but, I remember that you one. Know, where are we going to find rubber pants our size? Or I think so, Brain, but me and Pippi Longstocking, what would the children look like? Or I think so, Brain, but if Jimmy cracks corn and nobody cares, why does he keep doing it? I love those. And then and I loved the line that, that Maurice LaMarche had, which is when he's describing in the one where you're telling the uh, thousand and one Arabian tales. That was just from last season. Oh, my God. Yes. And <laughs> he's he's trying to describe you to the princess. And he inexplicably has a Cockney accent. That line yeah. just killed yeah. me. Isn't that great? Uh, well, I love meta winks to the one. audience. I, I, I that's oh. that's my favorite kind of humor. Exactly. And and that's precisely what All by Design and this new cast of writers, oh my God, did they ever get the note when they were growing up? And I'll tell you what is so sweet, Andy. The first episode, when we got back in the studio 2018 and started recording the new batch, the first episode of Pinking the Brain, there were, I think, three young writers, a young woman and two young fellers. And when we both started riffing, I happened to notice through the glass that I think her name is Forgive me, but Chen is her last name. She's just incredibly gifted. But she was in tears, and it was full circle. It was, oh, my God, this show got me hooked to start to write and start to pay attention to who the writers are on SNL and and find out all about the Pythons and find out about um, the writers on The Letterman Show and find out about Conan O'Brien and the writers on The Simpsons and all these Yale and Harvard grads. So I went to Harvard because I wanted to study that. And now I'm writing on Pinky and the you-know-what brain. <laughs> and it was too much for her. It was just beautiful. And I well, and hearing your own so, words in those voices has got to be amazing. Oh, my God. Amazing. So to be able to still do this and to have another probably 20 years where I could still do this gig, I'm living my best life. I never in a million years would have thought that we'd get a shot at this again. And here we are. Unbelievable. Well, we haven't even had a chance to talk about Ninja Turtles yet. Uh, let's talk All about right. that real quick. Sure. So you voiced Raphael in the original cartoon adaptation from the comic book in 1987. Then you voiced Donatello in the reboot in 2012. How does that happen where you end up on the show in a reboot and then not even doing the same character? Well, I was almost a victim of my own ageism for the following reason. Having done the original Raphael... There were several iterations of the show, I think two TV shows and half a dozen movies, which used different actors often from project to project. They didn't use the original cast, and that's certainly their right. We didn't get upset about it. Even if we had, it wouldn't have mattered. We're just, you know, it's not about ego. So when I got a call to audition for this 2012 version of Turtles, I was 55 years old. And my agent said, they just want to know if you'll come and audition. And I said, well, I will. But do they know who I am? And it wasn't out of arrogance. It was out of the fact that I was 55 years old. And I thought that was a problem. And it doesn't make any difference to anybody. The only person that seemed to bother was me. And I had to learn a really valuable lesson in the middle of my career. I just didn't want to get there and have the producers say, oh, that's right. He was Raphael 20-odd years ago. Well, let's throw the old guy a bone. He's here anyway. And my agent called back and said, no, no, they know exactly who you are. They know that you won an Emmy for Pinky. They know that you've been nominated for a bunch of other Emmys. and You won any awards. And they just think you would be great for what they perceive in their vision of Donatello. 
And I said, oh, but they still want me to read? Well, yes, they asked for you. And I learned a really valuable lesson that in this gig, it is not about how you look. It is not about your age. It is not about anything but your chops. And I had forgotten in all those years that the people who are now producing the new version were my son's age. They'd all grown up watching the show. They were in their 30s and 40s. Yeah, they probably knew exactly who you were, and they still wanted you. They knew knew precisely. And they obviously had met me, many of them, because I work at Nickelodeon all the time, and they have access to the IMDb. They know when I was born. It made zero difference to them. So, of course, I went and read. It wasn't about not wanting to audition. And I, I remember on my final callback, I walk in, and there's Jason Bateman and John Cryer. And I'd met Jason before, and I didn't know John. It was a pleasure to meet them both. And, of course, I'm thinking, these guys are wealthy TV stars. And the general response from them both was, dude, this is Ninja Turtles. And they're right. It's a big freaking deal. And they were willing to audition. It's not about the money. It's about being part of Ninja Turtles. So I'll be damned. I got the job. And Raphael was never part of the equation. They said, we're going to, Sean Astin, whom is like a brother to me now, Sean is going to be Raphael. Uh, Seth Green is going to be Leo. Greg Sipes, is, who plays Beast Boy on uh, Teen Titans, is going to be Mikey. And you're going to be Donnie. And we did, I think, 120 episodes. It is a fantastic iteration of the show. Much more uh, deeply fleshed out than the original show because the people who made it know the entire ethos and backstory of Turtles. So if you really want to watch what Kevin Eastman, one of the creators of the show, Kevin says that he thinks it's the most complete version that honors the ethos of Turtles. So anyway, just watch the 2012 iteration. It is really, really good. And so I learned a valuable lesson, which is to get out of your own damn way, idiot. (laughs) And so now I don't think about that anymore. I just think if they're interested, I'm going to go in and kill it. That's all I can do. And you did. And you got the role. I did. Uh, so is yes, that ma'am. is that role completed, or is there plans for you to continue to do that at some point? Well, not at the moment, but you're talking to a guy who's been asked a hundred times if Animaniacs would ever come back, and I said, nah. So I've learned that lesson, too. I did a, a little TikTok the other day. Um, as his character, Carl Weezer from Jimmy Neutron, and I did a TikTok, and overnight it had 560,000 views. <laughs> Overnight. So, yeah, overnight. Literally less than tw- 24 hours later. It was 30 seconds of me riffing as Carl, non- nonsensical rambling. But that character is supremely popular with young fans. And I got to believe that Nickelodeon knows this. I don't know if they're going to do anything with it. But hey, man, if you've got some secondary character that generates a half a million views overnight by some whack job old guy who lives in Agoura Hills, California, then. <laughs> It's worth paying attention to. You should maybe look into that. Exactly. Well, and uh, you know, uh, everything comes around and, uh, you know, we live in an age where it can. Amen. I love the fact that we get to have different versions or rebooted versions. It's tough for a rebooted version to be like the same way to your heart. It's one of the things that's happened, I think, to Star Wars fandom from 1977 to 99, 99 to 2012, et cetera, is that there's the one that first got you. That'll always be like in a sacred protected spot in your heart. Right. But one of the things that I think Marvel has done so well now that they've been able to build it over 10 years is they don't have to do it exactly like it was done in the comic book. You can still have the comic book and you can still read it. And that's what I tell people who do get upset with reboots. I said, you know what? The original's still there. You still have access to it. If that's what you love. Yes, it is utterly wasted energy. I completely agree. All it does is show the power of the franchise. 
Ninja Turtles is huge and can withstand good and bad versions. That's all subjective anyway. Right. But the number of world-class artists who have been inspired by Ninja Turtles to do their gig, and now they're doing it for DreamWorks or Disney or Marvel or Warner Brothers, is incalculable. And all that does is show what Kevin and Peter got right 37 years ago. Chuck Jones was inspired by somebody. And now there are people who are inspired by Chuck Jones working on Animaniacs. And people who are inspired by Maurice and Tress and Jess, who are voice talent working on Warner Brothers stuff. It is not about trying to replace or usurp. It is about honoring an incredibly powerful franchise like Marvel and coming up with even new characters in the Marvel Universe that pay understandable and accurate homage to the characters that came before. All it does is show how powerful they are and deep respect. And so I don't look at it all as a sideways compliment. Not at all. It's, I think, very short-sighted for people who say, ah, it's not the original. No kidding, genius. It's not supposed to be. You know, because we have this technology, you can watch if Ninja Turtles, the original 1987-88 version that we did 200 episodes of, if that is sacrosanct, then it's there. It's preserved forever. You're going to watch it with better quality than you could ever see it when it came out, and it will never go away. And you can watch them as, as long as you want. And you can utterly eschew the other versions. But please, don't pee on someone else's party. Exactly. Because they were inspired to do their art at a high, high, high level because of Ninja Turtles. That's a big deal, man. I w- I'm with you 100%. I, I hope that someday some of the people who do get angry and, and feel like they have to vocalize that will, will have that perspective. So you can enjoy what you like and let somebody else enjoy what they like. I mean, uh, I remember in 99, little kids thought Jar Jar Binks was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I I didn't think he was as cool as the little kids did because I was 24 years old. But I didn't think that the kids shouldn't like him. And, you know, well, yeah, you didn't want to you didn't want to kill the character. (laughs) I mean, there are people that get so bent out of shape. And I really have this is one of the few times that I lose a little patience is I just want to say, look, don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled that you find this so compelling that you feel you do need to get upset. That clearly means a lot to you. But with all due respect, get a hobby. If you're going to get sideways about anger at the way that Michael Bay may have mishandled Transformer, then don't watch it. Exactly. It's real simple. And if you don't buy the ticket, the show's not going to make any money. And if the show doesn't make any money, Mike Bay doesn't get $100 bucks to do the next one. It's real simple. But there are so, so, so many more important things going on in the world. Please keep this in the spot in which it really deserves to be. Don't let it ruin your life. And there are people who get so sideways that it just makes me, I don't even want to speak with you. Because you're getting nuts about the fact that they got the wrong girl to voice the Powerpuff person. (laughs) And I get that it bothers you, so don't watch it. And then move on and have a nice time with your life. But there are people who really will just spend hours and hours and hours online just ripping these people new ones. And I just got no patience with that. There are too many important things going on in the world to get bent out of shape. And that's somebody else's work, too. I mean, that yeah, that's, that's a real thing. They put, they put their effort into it. Yeah. I, I'm also a part-time reviewer slash critic for, for our local TV station, and I struggle yeah. when I didn't like something to figure out how to say it because it's very easy sure. to just be like, oh, this was terrible. I hated it. And then just you of just course. leave it at that. But I was like, you know, OK, somebody put a lot of work into this. This is somebody's for, for, it might be somebody's magnum opus. And 
You know, I try to have a reason. Like, I didn't like this because I got this impression from the trailer, maybe, and and this isn't what I felt when I watched it or, you know, different things. God bless you, because, look, I've worked on a lot of stuff that people would construe, even myself. I'd say, well, we kind of missed the mark by about 16 miles on that one. But somebody took a hundred million bucks of someone else's money and did the best they could. And no one, Andy, you know this, no one starts out to make a piece of junk. No one. Exactly. It's a hard job to make it all come together. Now, nobody forces us to be in showbiz, so I don't feel sorry for myself when I don't get it right or get angry because I know I did my best. But nobody hits out of the park all the time. And there is a way that you can say, all right, I'm a professional reviewer. Here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't like understanding that it's still subjective and someone can say, well, I hear what Andy's saying, but I got to tell you, I really dug it. Great. That makes the creator feel good. Right. And they want to do another one. So yeah, you've got the right attitude. You know, actually you led into a question that I did want to ask you. Is there a role where you just kind of hope people forget about that you've done? <laughs> no, you know what? I, I look at, if I'm willing to take a check, I own it. Okay. This is a for-profit endeavor. I do a lot of charitable things because I love doing them. And the only thing I wish I could do is write a bigger check than I normally write. And I'm working on that. But in terms of my work, somebody said, hey, Rob, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars to do this gig. And it turns out to kind of be a clinker. I own it. I did it. I own it. If it was in poor taste, I own it. I can say, well, I was 25. And that's true. That's a valid point because I don't do anything that I wouldn't want my child to see. And I pass on things probably since I've been in my early eh, mid 30s. I've passed on more things than I used to simply because I don't need to do them uh, if I find them too gratuitous in, in various ways. I'm not a prude. I don't mind if I do a character that's is a little bit blue or four letter words if it's the context of the show. Right. But I don't take the characters that I, for which I'm well known and make them blue because they're precious to me. But more importantly, they're precious to billions, literally, I think, at this point, of others. And it's not worth it for the, a thousand bucks and a session fee to have Pinky, you know, read a chapter of Fifty Shades of Grey. It's just not <laughs> it's just not that does you know, present a, a funny a mental fun image. But you're right. We don't actually need oh, to hear sure. it. <laughs> No, it's a funny idea, and I and I love because I have that subversive sense of humor. I totally do, and I embrace it. But no, man, once I take the money for it, I am open to criticism, and I've taken it. No one gets out of here without a couple of dings, and I'm having been a former hockey player, I can take a shot. So if somebody says, man, I watched you, or I heard you on blah, 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 what were you thinking? Well, eh, you don't like it, no problem, and I have no problem with you telling me. So if I'm getting paid for it, I got no business complaining. Now, this is a yes or no question. Have you ever had a role where in your hidden part of your mind, as you're doing it the first time before it's animated and made, you know, before you get to see the final product, have you ever had a a role where you thought this cartoon is going to be the dumbest thing ever? Not so far. I'd spend the opposite where I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be a killer. And boom, right in the dumper. Right in the dumper. I've, I've had them where I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to buy stock in the toy company because this is just going to explode. And crickets. So... You just never know. And even those of us who are lucky enough to do this every day, we still don't know, which is what makes Ninja Turtles so utterly remarkable. Six billion in merchandise to date. I don't know how many iterations and going strong. Um, Like Star Wars, who knew? 
it's difficult to figure it out. If we could, you and I would be having this chat on our private island. Right. Oh, that's for sure. Well, I am having an absolute blast talking to you, Rob. Let's do this, though. Let's take a break here. And when we get back, we'll have some fun in our final segment as we talk with the talented voice actor, Rob Paulson. All right, welcome into our final segment of Fan Effect with the great voice actor, Rob Paulson. Rob, I've had a blast talking with you so far today, and you've been incredibly generous uh, to, to take this much time with us. And I'm hoping that this last segment, we can kind of have some just some fun. What do you think? Great. I'd love that, because the whole thing up to now has been miserable. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have some fun, for God's sake. <laughs> Well, that's good. Then I'm going to see if I can live up to that. All right. So first question, before the break, we talked about, you know, some of the characters you voiced. And so I'm curious, what action figures of characters you voiced do you own? You know, honestly, the ones that I have are kind of the ones that my son left over. I've got stuff from The Tick, from obviously Turtles. I've got some pretty cool Goof Troop because we did a a really cool show. I played a character called PJ in Goof Troop. And then we also did a movie called A Goofy Movie and then a follow-up called A Really Goofy Movie, both of which were terrific. So I've got some cool swag. I don't collect collectibles so much, but what I do collect is artwork from the, the shows on which I've had the good fortune of performing. And so I've got some really, I've probably got two dozen really lovely one-off animation cells, which my kid doesn't know it yet. When he opens up his old man's hope chest or care package or whatever, and after I uh, punch my ticket, he'll probably be able to buy a car or two with the stuff I'm leaving him. So it's, it's turned out nice. Okay. Is it true that you were one of the guys combing the desert in Spaceballs? It is. It is totally true. In fact, that was such an interesting gig for obvious reasons. We got to work with Mel Brooks and the group that was involved in that looping session that is, you know, adding voice stuff to the background. Oh, my God. What a group. Nancy Cartwright, whom you guys know as Bart Simpson. Yours truly. Corey Burton, whom you guys know as Count Dooku from the Star Wars, Clone Clone Wars. Wars. Yeah. Phil Hartman, the late, great Phil Hartman. John Paragon, who played Jombie the Genie on uh, Pee Wee. What a great group. It was, what, 1986, maybe? But again, working with Mel. Mel was there on set. It was really something. Really something. So you were actually out in the desert in that uh, space no, ball? No, no, no. no oh, no. you just did I, the I voice did, of the guy. Just did the voices, yeah. Because um, what they do is they shoot that stuff with an eye on how they're going to voice it later. And then people like us and the group whom I mentioned come in and add the dialogue. So you got to say, nothing here, sir. Nothing here, sir. And a bunch of other different things. Uh, I don't even remember. I, I, we worked on it for two days. So uh, my voice is all through it. And uh, I probably did, I don't know. 20, 25 features, got Endless Love, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Yes, Giorgio with Luciano Pavarotti, Revenge of the Nerds, Caps. I did a whole bunch of those things. A lot of fun. So when you're credited with something like looking at your IMDb page, if you're credited with additional voices, what are the things they typically have you say? Is it is it dependent or do they just have you say like background things? Or I mean, I don't know what background things are, but... (laughs) Right. It is utterly dependent. Um, what that's for is when or, and I got a really good one that, that's kind of a, a fun feather in my cap is myself and, and a dear friend, Annie Lockhart, who is just a wonderful actor. I've known Annie forever. And we worked on Risky Business years ago. And there was a, an important scene in the movie in which Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay are making out on, a, on the L train in Chicago. Iconic that scene. Was a, 
Yeah, and that scene, when they shoot it, of course, the noise of the train prevents them from having dialogue or whatever noises they're making because it makes a lot of noise on the train. So they loop all that stuff in afterwards. And I remember Annie and I were supposed to loop that makeout scene, and we're looking at the screen kind of making puckering noises. And finally I looked there and I said, look, I know you, you know me. I've flossed and brushed my teeth. I say we go for it. What do you think, Annie? And she said, I'm in. So we looped it in a very authentic way. And it was one of the best gigs I've ever had because I got paid to make out with Annie Lockhart. <laughs> that is an awesome story. So you're, you're like, why should we fake the sounds? We, we're going for yeah. realism here because we're pros. We're pros and you happen to be much better looking than I, but if you can just close your eyes and think of England, I say we go for it. Think of Tom Cruise. Pretend you're looking at think Tom, of Tom Cruise. Cruise. <laughs> I'm about as far away from Tom as I could be, but Annie was a total pro. And to this day, we laugh about it, and I'm very grateful that she decided that I was worth the crack at it. I love that little bit of trivia. So now I know when I watch that scene that I'm hearing yep. Yakko making out with Rebecca. That's right. <laughs> I just That's love right. it. Yeah, isn't that cool? Oh, I'm sure you got thousands of stories that are awesome like that. Yeah, well, I've, I'm an old Hollywood dog, and I have gotten to work on some really wonderful stuff. And I wrote a book a couple of years ago called uh, Voice Lessons, and there are, in fact, a number of really wonderful anecdotes. And I can say that because I'm far enough removed from it that I know it was me, but when I go back and read about it, I think that's pretty damn cool. So um, if anybody finds a dog-eared copy of Voice Lessons by Rob Paulson or you want to listen to the audiobook, it's got some pretty interesting tidbits in it. It's kind of fun. How could you go wrong listening to Rob Paulson narrate his own life? And when he talks about any character, you can actually hear the character. That's right. The critters show up in the book, and it's pretty fun. So since we're talking about careers, and do voice actors compare IMDb pages with each other? Like if you printed them out and yours is several pages longer, does that give you bragging rights? Uh, Not really, because, well, let me put it this way. Not to me. And I'm saying this somewhat in jest, like I'm sure you don't walk around like, look at my page, but like you and Jess Harnell, if you you were going back and forth, would you print it out to see who's got the longer bio? No, I I have to say every now and then I I look at it like Frank, like we're talking about Welker. I mean, Frank's is just utterly prodigious. Frank is 10 years older than I almost to the day. My birthday is March 11th and his is March 12th. But he's not only one of my dearest friends and has been for 35 years. Golf buddy, he, he found the home I'm, where my wife and I live in. He found this home for us. Uh, he lives five minutes from me. And, of course, I'm thrilled to be able to see him this weekend. But if you want to see an IMDb page, you go check out Frank Welker's IMDb page. That is unbelievable. Uh, well, I actually McNeil. did look at it because I was just starting to do oh. some research for, for being their moderator. And it Jeez. was. It was Isn't I, it crazy? It's like the Manhattan phone book. and. And uh, my dear sister, Dot, uh, Dot Warner, check out Tress McNeil's IMDb page. That is another one that will blow your mind because Tress, for all the work we've done together on Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and Tiny Toons and the Disney Afternoon and over and over and over and over, she has done 600 episodes of The Simpsons alone. She's Principal Skinner's mother. She's Crazy Cat Lady. She's Dolph. And then on Futurama, she plays Mom and Bender's mother. Uh, Oh, my God. It's just over and over. The single most prolific voice actress in the history of Hollywood. That is no BS. She is head and shoulders above anyone who's come before 
and probably after her for a long time. And I've known that beautiful woman since she was a cocktail waitress at Charlie Brown's in Marina Del Rey. And now she is the best female voice talent who's ever drawn a breath. Remarkable. Wow. I know. I was so sad when she had to cancel this appearance at FanEx. She did. I spoke with her yesterday, and she is really bummed, but she's going to be at the next one. Awesome. Well, here's a question also. Yeah. This goes back to the action figures. Do you have grandkids? I do not. Not yet. My son is married, and we try not to be too... uh, (laughs) Too pushy uh, as the parents. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, when grandkids come, are you going to take your figures and do the voices for them so they get to actually watch... Oh, of course. Uh, how could I not? What was so glorious is having a little boy when Turtles hit. I'll tell you what, I may never be a filthy, stinking rich movie star guy, but I got to be Raphael when my little boy was five, six, seven, all the way to about 11. And he was a turtle freak. And that is, I can't even imagine what that's worth. Uh, it, to me, it's, there's not enough money in the world to have me trade that. Because we got to do such bitchin' stuff together, and the oh, times yeah. that we would call, you know, the Dominoes, and Raphael would say, "Hey, could you guys send me a grape jelly, uh, tuna fish, and hot fudge pizza?" <laughs> and these guys go, "Oh my God, you sound like Raphael!" I am. I lived down the road, and then the, they would come over for autographs, and then when Animaniacs had the Happy Meal toys at McDonald's, we drive to the drive-through asking for a. Uh, Hi, can I get 57 Big Macs, 27 with no meat, 14 with no uh, sesame seeds, one with no lettuce, and two with extra cheese, except only on half. And we got to do that through the drive-thru. Oh, my God, we had so much fun. And my kid, I think he he's 37 now, and he would tell you that arguably his old man was the best guest at career day every year for about six years. Oh, you know, I bet, yeah. Cool. Yeah, you just show up in person, and you're going to be the oh. most popular person there for sure. It was great. Just Great. Well, let's have a little bit of fun then with uh, with your improv background and your ability to do voices. Let me throw you a couple of scenarios using voices of characters that you that you currently do and just see how, for example, since we're talking about the Ninja Turtles, if 2012 Donatello and 1987 Mm -hmm. Raphael had an argument over the last slice of pizza, how would it go? Okay, go like this. Oh, man, I am so hungry. Oh, no, I. Oh, Raphael, what, the old Raphael, the OG TMNT, what are you doing here? What am I doing here, Gappy? I'm here having this last piece of hot fudge, marshmallow, tuna fish, and Doritos pizza. You look like you got designs on it. Don't you think for one second, youngster, that you're going to touch it? Well, don't you worry about it, oldster, because it's not gluten-free, is it? What? Gluten-free. The pizza crust is gluten-free, It's right? It's not gluten-free. No, what? What kind of lightweight are you? Eat of a little pizza? No, I'm not. But I have, um, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, and I prefer not to have gluten pizza. Well, then fear not, dude, because I'm going to eat it right now. So just you take your little irritable bowels and go invent some cool new invention, because I'm going to enjoy this pizza. I'm just glad that you didn't have to uh, convince me to have to beat the daylights out of you. Oh, trust me. I can handle myself. Well, you go handle yourself. And don't choose that. This is kids' television. That was pretty good. That was awesome. <laughs> Donatella, go ahead and invent yourself something to deal with your irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. You go uh, handle yourself. Just uh, don't tell the kids about it. How would, how would a turtle with IBS have to handle that in a shell? Yeah. How about that? <laughs> 
Oh, that was great. Okay, how about this Thank one you. then? That was okay. amazing. I, I should applaud that first. Thank you. Now, let's say that Yakko is the guest of honor, a guest speaker at the Cartoon Character Convention, and they ask Pinky to introduce him as the guest speaker. How would Pinky introduce Yakko? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. What an auspicious group of people to be here, well, they're cartoon folk, (laughs) to be here in front of you this evening. It is now my distinct pleasure... Now, who am I kidding? It's not at all a distinct pleasure. It's quite a pain in the butt, if you don't mind me saying. I am supposed to introduce Yakko Warner, who apparently thinks he's got a bigger brain than the brain brain. And he doesn't. He's just really full of himself. So without any further ado-do, and lots of that, as a matter of fact, here is Yakko Warner. And how would Yakko begin his speech? Oh, there you go. Yakko Warner, nice to see you. Hi, it's Yakko. Thank you, Pinky. You really are the stupid one, aren't you? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is a a, a great, great pleasure to be here in front of you today. Now, I'm sure all of you were expecting me to sing the Nations of the World song, but let's face it, that song is kind of outmoded, outdated. There are a bunch of brand new countries that have sprung up since that song was written. So I should like to sing it for you now. Don't even worry about the old one. Here's the new one. It goes like this. <clears throat> Montenegro and Bosnia, Herzegovina, the Soviet Union is gone. South Africa, Georgia, Moldova, Latvia, Belarus, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, hey, Kazakhstan, hey. Then there's Tajikistan, too. Hey, hey, Turkmenistan, hey, Kurdistan. Armenia, Tonga, Palu, Lithuania, Serbia, Kosovo, U.S., Samoa, the Balkans, Brunei, Macau and Crimea, then Eritrea. Ukraine and Estonia, here's Macedonia, New Caledonia, Eastern Slavonia, Ivory Coast and Cape Verde, Andorra, the Solomon Islands, Dubai. Goodbye. Oh, amazing. I'm going to have to add a sound effect of uh, like a, a full 65,000 stadium applause for that. That was, <laughs> that was outstanding, Rob. You're, you're making me cry laughing here just listening to that. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate the time you've taken today. This has been outstanding. Um, I did want to pass on from my kids. Um, they were very sad that they didn't get to hear you in Space Jam and New Legacy. They only got to see your silhouette in the background. Oh, as Yakko. Isn't that sweet? They well, spent the whole what, movie. I, I kid you not. They spent the whole movie looking for the Animaniacs. Uh, well, you know what? That tells me a lot, though. The fact is that we never know if we're going to be involved in that stuff. And I was thrilled that they just included the cameos, but. Isn't that wonderful that your children are so jazzed about Animaniacs that they were disappointed that we didn't speak in the show? That tells me that we're getting it right, that it is, as you can imagine, a very unusual circumstance to get a chance to do this again with Mr. Spielberg again on a brand new platform that was not even thought of 25 years ago. And here we have you and your children and it has utterly spanned at least two, sometimes three generations. And they really, really love the show. We're getting it right, man. I, I am so thrilled. And please tell your kids. In fact, what are your children's names? Grace, Cameron, Zach, and Sally. Zach and Sally are twins. Okay, here we go. Hello, Grace, Cameron, Zach, and Kelly. Yakko Warner here. Now listen. Sally. I have had the great good fortune of speaking with your old man today. What a charming fellow. He told me that he's going to buy each one of you a car if you do exactly what he says for the next 27 years. So if I were you, I reckon I'd keep that up. But 
you guys get free tickets to the water tower next time you're in Burbank. Uh, unless, of course, you're arrested getting on the lot, then you're on your own. But don't worry. There are plenty of lawyers in L.A. Most of them are divorce attorneys, but they'll work in your circumstance as well. Thanks for watching. Good night, everybody. Oh, Rob, this has been one of the highlights. Honestly, all of the stuff we've ever done on the podcast, this has been probably the funnest one I've done. Oh, thanks, pal. Well, it's my great pleasure, and I truly appreciate you taking so much time with me. Well, Animaniacs Season 2 drops on Hulu Friday, November 5th. Make sure that you sign up for Hulu so you can watch all of Animaniacs, which includes the original series and Season 1 that's uh, already currently streaming the whole season. I hope that you get to listen to Twisted Tunes at FanX on Saturday afternoon. Yes. With listen It'll to this voice lineup, one. Jim Cummings, the voice of Winnie the Pooh, and lots of other things. Yep. Jess Harnell, Wacko, yep. Maurice LaMarche, The Brain, Caitlin Robrock, and then creator Jeff Zanini. Do you guys know what yes. script you're doing? I do not. And if I did, I probably wouldn't tell you anyway, because it's such a big surprise oh, for everybody. Okay. And, they, and frankly, Jeff never tells us, I think until we get there, specifically because of that, because he likes it to be fresh. And he's come up with a brilliant idea. And I'll bet we have a couple thousand people and they will let they will leave exhausted from laughter. It's fantastic. Well, that's the reason that you guys are one of the final uh, big acts for Fanex is because yep. you're the exactly. you're the showstopper. If you've listened to this after Fanex, then I hope you had a chance to interact with Rob while he was there. Well, thanks, pal. And I sure hope I get a chance to meet you. But if not, please give my love to Frank and Peter. And I am so so excited for you, my friend. You are going to lose your mind. Rob, thank you again so much. You're so gracious, and I wish you all the best of luck and, and many more gigs and many more opportunities. Thank you, pal, and you. You take good care of yourself. All right, thanks. Bye, man. Bye-bye. That was the incomparable Rob Paulson, actor, voice actor, singer. He showed off all of his repertoire of moves. Hope you got a chance to meet him at FanX. And if you didn't, I hope you get a chance to check out some of his work. I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you're already familiar with some of it. But wow, what a treat. Can't say that enough. Beyond sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, and tech, brains behind Fan Effect are connoisseurs of categories surpassing the nerdy. Brilliant opinions and commentary on all things geek, but surprising knowledge and witty arguments over pop culture and a wide range of movies, TV shows, and more. Formerly known as SLC Fanboys, this show is hosted by me, Andy Farnsworth, and I'm joined by guest experts, my co-host Kellyanne Halverson, and it's based in the beautiful Beehive State Fan Effect, celebrating Utah's unique fan culture as it has been declared the nerdiest state in America by time. Listen up regularly on your favorite platform at kslnewsradio.com or on the KSL app. Join the conversation on Facebook at Fan Effect Show. That's E F F E C T. On Instagram and Twitter at Fan Effect Show as well. Fan Effect is sponsored by Megaplex Theaters, Utah's premier movie entertainment company. Join us again next time. Thanks. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.